Welcome to Kashmir's on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir's Magazine. And tonight we have some very interesting topics to discuss. We're going to be talking about Kosher Fest, which starts tomorrow. We're going to be talking a little bit about the OU standards on insect inspect in, in uh, infestation and their checking of vegetables. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Mashkir of the Year, whom I've chosen, and um, other topics that are very interesting, and I think that you'll enjoy this show very much. Uh, before we get lost in anything, let me just make a little statement. Last week we didn't have the show because there was a because the station was involved with the uh, elections and wanted to spend the time uh, dealing with that. Now, we have a special responsibility every time there is an election, whether it's a local election or a national election, we have a special responsibility as Jews. And I think it's really very telling and very interesting and very challenging. And that is that we have to think before we write and we speak. First of all, there's a Shiloh from Lashon Hara. Many people are speaking against one of the candidates and saying this should happen and that should happen. But that's not appropriate for our community. In addition... Uh, Lashon Hara is, uh, is, is Lashon Hara even against the Goy and we, we uh, that's the Menorah Samora says that and we have to be concerned about how things come across in the in the printed media I was there was a striking piece in the Hamodia it was a few weeks ago like two weeks ago and uh, I'm sorry I didn't clip it out uh, maybe somebody has it you'll send it to me or tell me where it is again but um, Mrs. Lichtenstein I don't think even she identified herself. But Mrs. Lichtenstein wrote about the Amodiyah's position and said that we couldn't say everything during this election for, under, for understandable reasons. And, and we don't always report. And, and, and our readers have the right not to know. Not to know stuff that doesn't belong anywhere. Now, we have a new president, and every word that we write, every word that we say, every quote that we make, it all has a bearing on our community, and people should be aware of that and, and, and act in the, accordingly and realize that everybody is watching us. Kaddish Baruch is watching us, and everybody's watching us, and uh, this is an opportunity for perhaps for a big help for, for the Jewish people in Israel and in America. We have to hope that that's going to happen, and we have to work towards it, but not with putting down other people, which unfortunately I'm seeing too much of. Now, with that done, we're now talking about uh, the, the current situations. So tomorrow and Wednesday is Kosher Fest. If you happen to go, so for whatever reason, it could be that you're, you know, you're a buyer, could be you're working there, could be whatever you're doing. If you happen to go to Kosher Fest, and it's not cheap, it's $90 to go there, and uh, you know, unless you're in business, maybe you can get a free ticket, but uh, basically it's going to be expensive. And when you go there, people like to eat. Well, you know, it's a kosher fest, right? And uh, all the food is kosher, right? And as far as I know, um, all of it or most of it is under a hashbacha with a mashkiach, meaning that aside from the fact that the product was produced by the OUOK, Cubs K, Star K, or some other K, it was uh, inspected and uh, considered acceptable to a certain over, you know, a certain uh, oversight body, which really basically is uh, 
I believe it's the CRC from Chicago or the uh, ACO organization or a combination with Rabbi Fishbane in the background. And uh, there's a mashkiach, Aaron Mendelssohn, who's going around to all the hundreds of booths from one to the other to the other all day long, making sure that everything is in order. So what could be wrong then if everything is kosher? And you even have a mashkiach there now, because originally they had no mashkiach. So what could be wrong? 5,000 things could be wrong. And every year something is wrong. So you can ask me after the show what went wrong this year. I could tell you what's going on now. I can't tell you. Tomorrow morning, I still probably will not know. But somewhere along the line, I hear stories. But what, in the simple, simple sense, what do we have to be concerned about? Well, if you're not going to Kosher Fest, you're going to another show, and there's food served there. So it's very interesting. The sign might say, we're under, oh, you, okay, star K, whatever it is. But that doesn't mean the food they're serving you is OU or OK or Kaf K star certified. The only way it's certified is if the company gives Hashkocha, OU, OK, Kaf K star K, one of these Hashkochas, the only way is that they know who is serving this food and how it got here. Because sometimes it could be not coming from the regular packaging plant. It could be coming from a, a, a house in-house factory, which a person has in their own house. And the sampling, you know, it might have just taken from there. And then again, may have been uh, a situation where they use equipment, and that equipment's not kosher, or not koshered, or it's dairy and not barbarava and plashiks and one or the other, and maybe new piece of equipment that it was never koshered. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. And all of this is what they're trying to do at the kosher fest for hundreds of booths at one time. It's, it's a bit of a challenge. My own personal feeling is you need more mashkichim, but uh, that's the position of the people who do it. They think more mashkichim is not. Okay. Now, what really goes wrong? Here's another one. This year they came over to me because the show is starting tomorrow. I was there today. We have a booth, 748. If you happen to stop by, say hello to somebody who was at the booth. Most of the time it won't be at the booth, but you could say hello to somebody. Now, we... we um, we, we, at, at the at the show, the uh, the mashkiach came over to me and, and said, "I want to show you. We're doing this year, first time ever. We're doing color coded signs, which means it's going to say that this rest this booth is parva dairy, plashiks, and then they have a distinction, parva. Uh, that, I'm sorry, milchiks, chal of stam, and milchiks chal of Yisrael, and it's the same exact." color. The same exact sign, the same exact color. One says Chal of Israel and one says Chal of Stam. And it's hard to read. So if you're going tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, make sure to take glasses, read the sign carefully. Did it say Chal of Israel? Or did it say Chal of Stam? And of course, if they made a mistake, they put the wrong sign there, well, then inform the mashkiach or come to our booth at 748 and let us know about it, and we'll get the message out right away. But this is what unfortunately goes on. And the bigger problem, I think, the biggest probably probably the biggest problem is that people uh, eat from one booth after another booth, and they may be milkshakes and flashics, and they may have as food is still in their mouth, and they, who knows what they may be doing, right? So it's a, it's a very interesting uh, uh, thing. It's a temptation because all the food is free. And people uh, tend to think uh, if it's free, it's fine. And that's not the way it is. 
So that's just a little background on the kosher fest. Now I'm Mashkiach of the Year. Very exciting. Very exciting. I can't tell you who it is yet because I'm only announcing it on Wednesday at the kosher fest. If you get the kosher fest on Wednesday, make sure to see when we have the special announcement and you'll see the uh, Mashkiach of the Year himself. Get the $1,000 check from us. We give $1,000 every, every Mashkiach of the Year. Get the $1,000 from Kasha's Magazine. It's not my money. We raised it. But the point is we give it out. And uh, this Mashkiach is somebody that's chosen from all those that are that are uh, recommended by the different cautious organizations. We interview each one of them on the phone, and then we make a decision which one sounds the best. Also, they have to come with a recommendation from the Mashkiach that they work for with a little brief explanation about why they're chosen and what's special about them. And the one that we have this year is A1. I mean, this is a Mashkiach of the Year, whichever year it is. This is a man who belonged to be Mashkiach of the Year. And when I interviewed him, I said, this is going to be the man. But I have to keep going. You know, I, have, I owe everybody to be interviewed, so we had to keep going. And we weren't able to decide to the last minute. And I'll just tell you a little secret. But this, I feel, is as far as I can go before this show. This Mashkiach is not from America. This is the first time that we're giving an award as Mashkiach of the Year to somebody outside the country. And we always had this thought back and forth, and we should, we shouldn't, we were, you know, we really is, we're all in America and this, etc. But there's 1,371 cashless organizations. Maybe the majority, of, I mean, the majority of them are not in America. So uh, should I cut everybody out? So I decided that, you know, we can't really be play favorites here. And uh, we're obviously, we're not playing favorites with who we give Hashkafa to give the award to, but we were sort of keeping it possible in the states. And I figured this year, no, we're not going to keep it anymore. If, if there's somebody great, he's going to get it wherever he is. And I, I, I feel the world is getting much smaller. I sent out. Um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I sent out a questions to all the Hashkafas of over the whole world. And we got over 100 responses, and many of them, I don't say most, but many of them are from outside the country. Of course, some people from outside the country can't read the English, but we're talking about people who read the English and wrote back in English and answered our questions, and it's a small world. It really is a very small world in the conscious world. And I'm going to share with you uh, a thought that the Mashkiach of the year told me. Now, one of the biggest topics today Bedikas Toiloyim, is the question about this Shmata Bedika. The Shmata Bedika is this uh, situation where you you put the, the the different vegetables into water, and you agitate, and you put soap on, and etc. And you do this, and maybe you wash it on the faucet, and then you collect the water, all of the water, and put it through a strainer, which is a thin, thin, thin cloth, which we call the Shmata Bedika. It's uh, really not a shmata like from the old shmatas, but it's a uh, it's a piece of cloth that's actually um, man-made. It's not a natural uh, fiber, so uh, we, we we that's what we use, and then they examine that and see if there's any insects. But what's interesting is that the different people in the in the kashrus world are treating this differently. Some people won't use a shmata badika. Some people swear by it. 
Some people won't use the old method of checking leaf by leaf on a light box, and others swear by that. And uh, some people will do the shmata bedika, but they make two or three bedikas before they accept the product. And some say it has to be completely clean for one or two times when before they even would consider using the product. So it seems to be that the kishem shepartsu feim shonos kach deyoseim shonos. The more different everybody is, the more they look different, the more they are different. And literally everybody has a different take on how to do it. And that's one of the articles we're working on for the next issue of the Tashi magazine, based upon the responses I got from the 1,371 Kashas organizations. Each one took this completely differently. And that's something that we as consumers should know, that even though one claimed to do Shmatadika, one claimed to do... Uh, checking every leaf, Machain claims this, claims that. But what is the back? What are they really doing? What are they really doing? And it's very interesting. They're not all doing the same. They're not all doing the same. Even when they have the same title of, method, of this method or that method, not all the same. I'm going to tell you what the Mashkir of the Year told me. This is my new Mashkir of the Year told me. He said, Rabbi Wickler, I, the Shmat the Bedika, it's in his estimation doesn't work for everybody. Wow. In other words, you're right, and you're right too. Unbelievable. And I've never heard that before. I was hearing some people do sometimes this and sometimes that, and they follow up with a little more. On, uh, they, say, they check a sample on the light box, but they use the smart Vedika, or they do this or that. I heard all kinds of variations. But this was a new one. I said, sure. On this kind of vegetable, you're going to have little bugs left after you. You're not going to get them all off with the shmatavadika. This mashkiach of the year told, told me I check a thousand pieces of lettuce a day. And that's not his job. His job is, when you'll hear about it, it's a very exciting job. Very interesting and challenging and exciting job. It's not like a regular mashkiach. And it's not like, it's like almost nothing you ever heard of in your life. And only a part of his job is to check leaves. And he claims that he checks a thousand leaves a day. So this is this is really something interesting. And I'm looking forward to the interview, which we hope we'll have with him on this radio show. And I hope it will be next week. But don't promise, not promising now. But he's staying in my house tomorrow night. And I'm going to try to squeeze him to uh, either pre-record with us or to commit to being here next week on the on telephone so because he's got to go back home <laughs> they, they want him there they need him they need him very badly let me share with you something it's sitting here so nicely listening to me babble about about bugs let me share with you something that you probably don't know and that is about cheese there was recently what you call a major snafu in the cheese business uh, people ask me people think somebody came out to me in shul Rabbi Wickler, tell me about cheese. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but now I know. <laughs> I think this is what they're referring to. There's a company called Cheese Pro and Fromage Gourmet. They make mozzarella and string cheese. And that's the company that makes it, Fromage Gourmet. So this is what the press release said. Due to kosher violations, the OU and Rabbi Babad have immediately terminated the certification of this company. Products bearing kosher certification should not be used 
and should be returned for a refund. Now, this is what it says, and this was printed in the local papers, da, 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 whatever, you had, wherever you came across it. You didn't come across it, again, the name, Cheese Pro and Fromage Gourmet, Mozzarella and String Cheese. But here's what the OU told me, which nobody knows, and this is what it says. Rabbi Gordimus says that one should kosher all his utensils because they have been used in contact, coming in contact with this cheese. All not kosher. Except for the ricotta cheese. The OU's position is that it's not subject to the Isa of Gavinus Akum and would not have to kosher the Caleb. So we learned here two things. Number one, that uh, the OU is uh, leaning into about ricotta cheese, but not everybody is. And they say that it has to, because it's like, they consider it a soft cheese and therefore not needing to be Gavinus Israel, which not everybody agrees with. And also we learned that the problem was that it was it was Gavinus Akum. Now you understand what Gavinus Akum is. Gavinus Akum means that there was no Jew putting in the uh, the, the enzyme that makes the cheese curdle. There was no Jew there. Being there, the production does not make it Gavinas Israel. You must put in the enzyme. So some maybe some cheese. I don't know exactly how it worked. But there obviously was a snafu here, a mix-up. And the OU's name and Rabbi Bad's name appeared on it. And it's not kosher, according to Halacha. And according to the OU, you have to kasha your kalim if you have cheese pro and fromage gourmet mozzarella and string cheese. But it didn't mention here the ricotta cheese. So I don't know exactly what, what that meant. But uh, that's what the information that I got from the OU so far. Now I'm ready to go on to something which I thought was very interesting. Is a piece that comes, and you could get this yourself. You could get from the uh, from Rabbi uh, uh, from uh, you, you you can get from Rabbi Grossman, Rabbi Yosef Grossman from the OU. You could get on the the, the list. You don't have to necessarily be a mashkiach. But you could get on their list for what they call Daf Hakashras. It's a stunning publication. It comes out usually monthly. A absolutely stunning publication. You know, everybody, every organization writes a little bit about itself. The Star K has Kashras Torrents. The uh, OK has uh, Kosher Spirits. And uh, I, I don't know if the others have anything, uh, but those, those two, two main ones. And the OU puts out a thing called Daf Hakashras. Now, Daf Hakashras is like the insiders, and you can get this free. I'm going to tell you how to get it, then I may tell you they don't want to give it to you. I don't know. I'm <laughs> telling everybody who sent me. I'll try my best not to get in trouble with him, but I still like everybody listening, and, and I know you take Kashras seriously. So get this. It costs nothing. It comes in an email. Just type in Grossman with two S's, at ou.org. That's Grossman at ou.org. And ask for Daf Akashras. Now let me just tell you a little bit about uh, a, a little bit about uh, the, um, the article that appeared, which I found extremely interesting. It's called 
It's the actual, if you want to know, it's the November issue. They printed in Hebrew with a little background, plus in English, the, a summary of the OU insect checking policies. And I'm going to read it to you because I want everybody to hear it. Rabbi David Bespitzer is the one who writes, who wrote this article. Fruits, vegetables, or berries, this is OU position, this is what OU does, or tries to do whatever it is. Well, but let's realize that not everybody else in the industry does the same way. Fruits, vegetables, or berries that are expected to possibly contain insects must be checked prior to use. The minimum rate of infestation that requires checking is 10%. But the question is, what's the 10% of what? That it doesn't seem to be any agreement between the different robotums. Magnification is not required when checking, although it may be used as an aid for training purposes or to help check faster. But you shouldn't have to use it to be seeing the bugs. It should be visible to the naked eye. Insects that cannot be properly identified whatsoever unless magnification is used are permitted. If you can see a dot, you can't recognize it at all as a bug. The obvious position is that's permitted. Not everybody agrees with that permission, that, that position. Uh, and I must tell you that the good mashkichim can tell from what you would call a small dot, whether it's insect or not, and they'd be right 100% of the time. They have an ability to see the edges of it and to realize that that shows that there are limbs jetting out. Well, you couldn't see it. You, you'd like to see a fat leg sticking out. And here, you're not going to get that. But the trained mashkiach could actually tell you 100% of the time, even though he only sees the dot, but he does know from a little difference. And a lot of that we could learn ourselves, but most of us never get trained and never try to get trained. And we always say we don't see anything, which is wrong. When checking is required, the entire vegetable, fruit, or berry must be checked. When checking large quantities, it may be permissible to check samples from a single batch. The minimum amount of sampling units is three. Okay, this is a, we call Chazaka, and uh, not everybody agrees with it. Not everybody who does it is the same, the same place, the same amount. This is a whole game in itself, what difference between cautious agencies. Whole insects are not bottled. They're not nullified in a food mixture. If you know there's a whole insect in there, you're not going to be able to say it's nullified even if there's thousands of times food against that bug. It is permissible to puree fruits, vegetables, or berries that only occasionally harbor insects. If pureeing is part of a following a recipe and the intent is not to eliminate insects. <laughs> there's a trick in there. I hope you caught it. There's a trick. I'll, I'll repeat it. It is permissible to puree fruits, vegetables, or berries that only occasionally harbor insects. So you're saying that whatever occasionally is, but they're obviously are there sometimes, but it has to be that your intent is not to do it to crush the insect. If pureeing is part of a following a recipe and the intent is not to eliminate insects, well, that's a very tempting situation. Following the recipe and not doing it in order to get rid of the bugs. Okay, uh, that's what it says here. 
No, I'm going to continue. Actually, I have to turn a few pages. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a big document, about five page, six page, whatever it is. Next, it continues over here. Fruits, vegetables, and berries that are thoroughly dried in a hot oven do not require checking and are permitted. The obvious position is that if you have a hot oven and you put the fruit or the vegetable in there, they figure that the it's going to be no longer intact. Anything that would be there is burnt up or is not whole anymore. I don't know what a hot oven is. I don't know what the temperature, how long. I don't know the details. But this is the OU position. Fruits, vegetables, and berries that only occasionally harbor insects, which are cooked and cannot be checked afterwards, are permissible. So in other words, what does that mean? If 10% of the time you find bugs and you cook up the bug and cook up the vegetable, you can eat it? No. That's not called that's not called occasionally. Occasionally means less than. If it's 10%, we are required by law, by the halacha, to check each and every leaf. That's the halacha. If it is uh, 50% or more, then the Torah requires it. If it's 10% or more, the Rabbanan requires it. Some people have lower thresholds than that. He's talking about where periodically you're going to find bugs. So can you you know, rely on this? So the answer is um, you can't cook it up and, and and possibly crush the bug because that like that would be mevatel isa lechatila, which is also according to some from the Torah, and according to some it's rabbinic. Washing systems cannot be relied upon to reduce infestation. This is crucial. You heard that? Washing systems cannot be relied upon to reduce infestation. Oh, but these vegetables are triple washed, aren't they? Washing systems cannot be relied upon to reduce infestation, unless they are adequately proven to be effective. So I can say three times wash, four times wash, five times. Just show me that that works. Oh, that's something else. And we've seen that, that sometimes the three times washed, you know, triple washed is using the same water, which means you're putting the bugs back on again. Raisins may be consumed without checking. That's the OU position. It is permissible to place herbs in a garnet bag and cook them in soup without checking. This is probably the most dangerous statement in the Bible. I'll read it again. It is permissible to place herbs in a garnet bag and cook them in soup without checking. 100% correct. If the garnet bag is so tight that the little teeny weeny insect that you were talking about won't come out. That's something that you'd have to go and do research on and get recommendations from very big rabbis. Because a lot of the those bags that are sold are so big that any bug is going to end, go through it. It's not made to keep bugs out. It's made to keep the food that's being cooked out. It's not made to keep bugs out. And most times, it's not, big, it's not strong enough. It's not, not, not tight enough. So that's something that needs a lot of investigation and should not be misunderstood. That's why you have to read this like a, a Talmud Chacham, okay? Worms found embedded in the flesh of fish, the OU's position is, are permitted. Worms found in the stomachs or head are prohibited. And I'm going to repeat that. Words found, found in, worms found in the stomach or head are, are prohibited. 
The head. Yes, they go into the head. How do they get into the head? They come in through the mouth, through the gills. They're sometimes in the gills, sometimes in the head. So here you see, everyone was saying flesh. Well, the head is flesh too. So how far out is called head? Remember when you bought the fish head for, for Rosh Hashanah? You used the fish head? What? You were eating meat. You were eating the meat of the fish, the flesh. How far out is called the head? How much is called the stomach? Everybody in the industry knows that you'll find a lot of the worms right near the stomach area. And a lot of the places that do checking only check the stomach area. So what does it mean? In the stomach? Near the stomach area? These are, these are very, very big questions today. And that is the little bit of topic that I wanted to have on, uh, and, and I suggest anybody who wants to get this or any of the other Dafa Kashras, get the whole set coming to you. No charge forever and ever. And that is Grossman, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N, uh, at O-U dot O-R-G. Ask him permission to put you on the list to get the Daf Hakashris. And if you have any difficulties, say Rabbi Wickler recommended me. Okay, I was going to go through celery, and I'm going to, just one second, please. I'm going to go through celery briefly. People ask me to talk about different vegetables, how to check them, and I'm going to talk about celery. Celery is like this. It's very simple. All you have to do is look for the leaf miners. Now, if you've seen my magazine, we had pictures of it. And if you haven't seen it, you can get it on any internet. You can get it uh, however you want to. Just look for leaf miner, M-I-N-E-R. The miner goes into the leaf, under the skin of the leaf, under the, under the outer layer. He's inside. Now, what happens when he goes inside? He burrows out a tunnel. This tunnel is going to leave a blank space so it looks whiter, lighter colored than the rest of the vegetable, the rest of the celery. So you'll see the leaf miner smack in the middle over there. Now, you won't find the leaf miner very often, but he still could be there, right, the beginning or the end of the tunnel, of his trail. And if you don't find him, you might see these little black spots. These little black spots are leavings that he left when he passed by. So we can't eat that, and you wouldn't want to eat it either. So that has to be surely cut out. You should take at least a half an inch, an inch past that on either side of the tunnel, the, tra- the trail. And some people throw the whole piece out. Now, it doesn't take much to, to see these things. But I'll tell you the secret. The secret is that the trail of the leaf miner is not straight. He can't go straight. He's on a, on a trail. And he moves a little bit to the left, a little to the right. And you'll see that this trail doesn't look like a straight line. If it looks like a straight line, it's not a leaf miner. It's just imperfection in the celery. I don't think you should have too much trouble with it. But if you have trouble, I tell everybody, go to the Kashris, go to the Mashkiach in one of our big supermarkets because he's checking this stuff all the time. And beg him to show you one or two that have the actual leaf miner in it, and you'll come back in a day, in a week, whatever it is, and follow through. You'll see them really alive, not just not, not, you'll see the real, real thing, not just a picture of it. So that's about celery, and uh, we just have to spend one minute talking about our sponsor, and then we're going to answer any questions you have. You can call the studio at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, and you could text us, at 
347-927-8398. And, you know, Glatmart has been the sponsor of our show since the very beginning. And when you think of Glatmart, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M, you should think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you could save plenty of money by shopping at Glatmart. And at Glatmart, you'll save time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glatmart from the East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with all those special items that you purchased in the store. And at Glatmart, the quality meets is A1. With kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor, at Glatmart you're getting quality kashras. Some of the items that are on sale today and tomorrow, I don't have the, the ones for, next, for, the, for the end of the week and the beginning of the next week, but some of the items that are on sale right now, if I can get it, I had it here. Oh, boy, I had it. And right now I am not seeing it. So I will tell you the rest of the story then. Glatmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dovin Glatmart, tell them you heard about Glatmart on Cautious on the Air over J Root Radio. And I see we have people calling in. You can reach us at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Your questions, or you can text us at 347-927-8398. Okay, first caller. Go ahead. You're on Cautious on the Air. Can we help you? Hi, how you doing? My name is Gary Cohen. How are you today? Okay. I want to thank you for taking my call. You had a... You had a um, you were talking about checking leaves and uh, and fruits for bugs. I just wanted to make um, a comment that you weren't sure of. Um, I work with the OK. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a local uh, a local business, and and many of the many of the costume agencies all work on the same dynamic in terms of uh, checking. You mentioned the ten percent number minimum to check ten percent. No, 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 no. That wasn't what I said. What did you mention? What did you mention? Ten percent of of if you have, let's say I have. Uh, I, I mean, the question: ten percent of what? But let's say we right, use. Good. Let's, I'm going to answer that question. But let, let's say we let's say we take heads of lettuce, and I okay. say that in one in that one uh, head of ten has a bug in it. That might be okay. called a mir hamatsui, and it might be required bedika. That's at 10%. 10% doesn't mean you check 10%. Most people either check all of them or check a smaller amount than 10%. And they, or right. they check 10%. It's not because it is din. It's because of a chazaka that they're making. We're not talking about right. chazaka. We're talking about what is required, what makes you required to check altogether. Sure. So, so the reason that they use the 10% is because 10% is really on a, uh, really on a commercial level. I just wanted to clarify that. Well, um, I, I don't think I don't think you no you you're you're, you're referring to something that I wasn't talking about. You're referring oh, okay. to how so much they. You, I apologize. That's no, okay. You were referring to what they tell you to check. How much you have to check to make a chazaka. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm saying oh, okay. why should I, I even check this lettuce? The only reason I'm checking the lettuce is because ten percent of the time you could find a bug in lettuce. And what does 10% of the time mean? 10% of each leaf? I mean, every, one out of 10 leaves has a bug? No. 
It means one out of ten servings, or one out of ten heads, or one out of ten packages. But whatever the whatever we're using as our unit, if we found one bug in one of ten of those units, then you have to check, and you may be checking ten percent of the time. Two separate things. Uh, okay, very well. Thank you very much Thank for the call. I found a little bit about the. I found the list from Glatmar. I'm going to just read a few items here. On sale right now: corned beef decal, seven ninety nine a pound. Breast of veal with pocket, eight ninety nine a pound. Family pack ground beef, six ninety nine. Oberlander's Ruggelich, two ninety nine. Bloom's corn chips, eleven ounces, one twenty nine. Amnon's regular and sliced pizza, seven thirty nine. That's eight slices, I think. Yes, eight slices, seven thirty nine. Clementine's three three pound bag, three ninety nine. Bananas, forty nine cents. Idaho mm-hmm. potatoes, five pounds, two for three dollars. Onions, three pounds, two for three dollars. Tuv Tom uh, Baba Ganoush, two for five dollars, and Sabra Chumas, ten ounce, two dollars and thirty nine cents. Okay, another caller. Go ahead. You're on Kasha's on the air. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Go ahead. This is. Um, I just wanted to ask you, how do you check onions? I hear different uh, versions of what is permitted in onions. How much you have to cut away? I've never found anything. Maybe I don't know how to look for them. That's how right. How common you don't, is worms and onions? You don't know how to look for them. You see, what it, the trick is that we may be cleaning out some of the uh, the the bugs, but when let me let me give you the onions. I really was going to not do uh, this, but you are here and and you are calling me, and I will answer you. And anyone else who wants to call seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Now let me just tell you about an onion. There's no two people who agree on this. There's a lot of discussion in the in the in the, um, in the you know in, in Kashrus area. Some people believe that you have to take out the inside of the onion. In other words, they'll I suppose cut the onion in half and pluck out the the close 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 leaves because as you know, the the center of the onion uh, goes up to the top and you see something sprouting out of it. It may not be sprouting out that high. You may not see any green. You may not see a long piece. But you do see sprouting from the middle, and that is where the insects go in. So some people will actually cut out that all the time, cut the inside all the time. Others will not do that, but they take off the first, they take out the brown, they take off the brown on the outside, and they took off the first layer, the first, first layer. It's pretty thick. They take the first layer off. And then they wash it well, not the layer, but that we usually throw out. And we wash the onion well, and then you're ready to go. As I said, so some of them are cutting open and taking out the inside, and the others are relying on cutting off the uh, first layer. In addition, um, it's good to cut off the bottom and the top, maybe a quarter of an inch. Nothing exciting, because that's where uh, a lot of insects can get trapped as well. But in other words, you want just the onion, and none of the brown and green stuff on it. When the biggest problem is a soft onion that was let that sat around a few extra days. It may have been in the bottom of your onions under the other ones, and it's sprouting out. It's cute, really. It's almost like a, you know, when you we kids you took peas and put it in the water, and then and it sprouted. It was beautiful. Well, that's happening with your onion, and that's where the insects go in. And at that time, it's very hard to get it clean without taking out a lot of the inside. I always throw them away when I have a soft onion. I, and I shop 
very carefully when I shop, my wife also, when we, when we shop, we look to, to see a hard onion that doesn't have anything sprouting from it. And uh, I mean, not, I mean, you might see a little something there, but nothing, uh, no, you don't see grass growing there. And then, then, you're, then you're pretty safe. Okay. Yeah, but I'm just asking one more question. If there's no bugs there when it's hard, how do the bugs come there when it gets soft? The bugs are going in the same way. They, they crawl in through From where? the outside. Like where are they created? Well, when, where they come, what? They're created? They're in the, Hashem Yisbarach made bugs all over the whole world. They, they, bugs, do you, you ever have a house flies? Did you ever have um, uh, right. fruit flies? Did you ever Unfortunately, have... Unfortunately, yes. Well, they're, they're attracted. Ants come in, they're attracted. They're all in the world. Hashem made them, and, and they're wonderful. Insects are wonderful. But we would like them to be outside the vegetables, not inside. It, they're sitting around, they're going to get in. There's holes, uh, they're going to get even in. Even if they're minuscule, they're in the house, and they crawl into the onion. Absolutely. I thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. Have a good day. Thanks. Okay, another call. You're on the air. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can I help you? Yeah, I have a quick question for you. Um, I, I respect the fact that you're very into Ashkach Atmidus in stores, and I heard a recording of the show a couple of weeks ago where you spoke about the time Ashkach in stores, but I'm in food service myself, but I was talking to uh, a distributor, and he told me the reason why I don't get a Hasidic Hexer is because they come around too often, and he rattled off, Two Ashkachas that he has, that one comes once in five weeks to check up on him, and one comes once in two months. Um, I called up the Ashkacha, and they didn't deny it. They said they feel that it's a good enough system. Do you feel that's sufficient, that Ashkacha can come once in five weeks to check up on a factory because they have such good okay. protocols in place? Uh, let, 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 let's, be, let's be brutally honest. The standard of the industry, that means OU, OK, CUFK, K. Pretty much across the, the what we call the American standard of kashras is that you make a you make a, a visit to a factory unless there's any scary things going on there you make a visit to a factory once a month and if it's going to be in China it's not going to be once a month and it, and you go once a month and you go in for 10, 15 minutes a half an hour maybe an hour you're not a little much longer and the factory is huge. It's like, you know, it's like Grand Central Station. And they have stuff that's stored there here and there in every place. You cannot believe how much is stored there. And, and um, what they do is, most times, they just spot check certain things. Uh, show, me your, um, show me your batch code for this and this product for this and this day. Show me your this, show me that. And they check the records like that. But they don't check the whole records. And that is that is what we are getting that we call kosher. That is it. Now, but a, but okay, a but plant. Isn't that, isn't that like a huge obvious? Uh, no, I'll, tell, no, I'll tell you what it is. I'll not, tell you. I don't know the case you said before with the milk. No, can you imagine? I, I don't know what how they caught the guy. But can you imagine if the weather stuff to me this all the way through? How much quicker they might have caught the guy? Right. You 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 and I agree that we would love to drive a Lamborghini. What is it called? We love to. We'd love to go with a with a with, you know with a Cadillac or whatever. We may sometimes we have to drive a Ford. The cashless industry could not demand what we would like to have, but um, because it would play, be priced out, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be accepted. They came to this decision based on a lot of factors. A plant, unless it's a, some funny place, uh, but a plant 
usually works in a way that they're buying from the same suppliers and that they have clearly distinguished production lines and this is what's produced and the batch codes, which means says what's going to this particular product. And that's it. A flavor factory that makes flavor, we call flavor house, that makes thousands of different flavors, that needs a mashkiach tamidi because they could take trefin and use it and it would be done in an hour and no one would know about it. So they have to be control the trefin, the kosher, and they do trefin in the, in the flavor houses, but they at least want to control it. But when you have a, a kosher-only factory that's doing the same thing over and over again all day long, six or seven days a week, so there's no mashkiach on Shabbos, there's no mashkiach on Yom Tov. They never, ever walked on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And they come once a month, and they spot-check the records, and they don't always catch everything. You're right. And a lot of times, um, things are going on for a long time. I mean, I had a company that was using an unauthorized Hashkotten symbol from one of the five big Hashkachas for four years until it was discovered. And I think I was the one that discovered it. Because I right, so, so I don't understand. I, I, forgive, forgive me for interrupting. I understand why is it the standard? I don't want to get into names because last night. Why is it the standard that if I were to open up a restaurant in Manhattan, that any national house would say we don't care if you have this literature, everyone got the mosquito community. You don't like it, go jump in the lake. That's what the standard is, and it's beautiful. But a huge factory of mayonnaise, you're going to go once in six weeks, where for three years a guy could be putting in. I don't know if you're aware, the food service a while, but the famous mayonnaise company that a while ago, uh, talking about 15 years ago, had a story they were putting um, chazer oil into, into a, a kosher mayonnaise run. And it took them like three years to have. Right. Because they're going once every six weeks. Come on, that's so irresponsible. And, and no one says right. anything. So let me, let, me explain, like, let me explain two things to you, a few things to you. First of all, this became, this became the standard. Uh, you, you did a book out on uh, Kosher USA, if you ever read it. Um, he's not the real, uh, an, an orthodox man, but he has very interesting stories, and you could see in there how this thing really developed. Uh, this became a standard uh, because, like I said, they couldn't get in as much as they like, and then each one is competing with the other one, so they're basically working on the same program. Uh, what you said about the restaurants in Manhattan is not really correct. The Hasidic Shashkachas very often have no mashkiach. If their owner is Shomer Shabbos or Frum or Hamish, whatever it is, they do not I require... Didn't have Israel, but, but I can tell you one hand, the Chafish actually that I have, I don't want to say which one, and we're just making political points, he not only is he there, he's there three times a day, he has keys, he comes around, and his spot check is not like... Uh, I, I do want to add that when some of the national Shkachas do come and the spot check takes three minutes, his spot check takes 20 minutes apiece, and he comes around three times a week, and he comes when he wants, different times, he's unpredictable, and, you know, I'm proud that the soul who's doing things in a brutal way because that's the only way you get a grip. I want, you, I want you to email me his name because that's the person I'm going to go to. Okay, use his hashkachas. That's very, very nice. What you're saying is very true. Listen, there is a quality issue. I mentioned even tonight there's a quality issue between different hashkachas. There's no question about it. But, but back to what we were saying before. Why did they set up this thing? Because, first of all, it's practical. And secondly... The, uh, a factory is again has bills that are that you know we they take large quantities and they and and they will uh, so so there's there's a track 
record. It says you, there's something. There's, a, there's a, a paper trail that I could use. A restaurant, you can go across the street and buy something and use it right now. Where was a restaurant in Borough Park that served tray for hot dogs with the best hashkacha that I could think of? And reason is, a goy went out and bought it. That doesn't happen in a factory. A goy doesn't go out and buy hot dogs and put it into the food. You, you, you have to get, there's a whole protocol, and before anything is used in a factory, not just from the kashrut side, from the factory side. You know, it, it, it's just not going to happen. Could there be a wrong well, delivery? How did, yes. How did, how did that story, the famous story with the mayonnaise company, the guy was putting pig oil there for four years, four, five years till they caught them. How did they get away with it? If you check the logs and you check the system, obviously the system is not a good system. It if is not a happen, perfect system. It is not a perfect system. It is not a perfect system. That any cashless agency that's using it will agree it is not a, it's not a fail-safe method. It's, it's generally good. And most cashers does just generally good. I spoke to one of the major cashers agencies about this whole thing about the Badikas. And he said to me, we're in now to, we're working on now with the Shmata Badika. He said, it's not perfect, but it's a big step up from what we did before. Nobody in the cashers industry will say we're perfect all the time. That's a scary thing, but it's very, very true. And that's why I like that some of my people should be a little discriminating in where they do shop and, and with knowing a little bit about the different ashkachas. I can't really get into it on the radio because I'm not going to play favorites, but it's good for us all to try to get to the highest standard that we can possibly handle. Thank you very much for the call. We have the calls coming in. Thank you very much. Okay, you're on cash on the air. Can I help you? Yes, yes. I, I've been involved in various and when we go into a bakery, a commercial bakery, <clears throat> commercial bakery has an 1,800-pound mixer that right. mixes one batch of dough at a time. The oil comes in into a silo. It's not, it's <laughs> not five gallons or even a 50-gallon drum. It comes into a silo. It's pumped into the mixer. That's not replaced every day. Right. Nobody's going to go out and add another three bottles of oil because it was on sale at the local right. shop. Right, right, right. An item like that lasts for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. It's not replaced. Right. Flour comes in in trucks. It's not replaced on a daily basis. So the need to come in on a daily basis is not the same. Right. When a person has a restaurant or a grocery or is making sandwiches, those, those items are replaced so often they do need more inspection, more, more, more watchful eye from the mashkiach or the rapam machshir. The, the, the volume that's bought, besides that there's a paper trail, but the volume that you're buying presents it as it's not replaced every week. Right. You don't have to you don't have to check the inventory on a daily basis because nobody goes out to buy a two pound can of of cocoa. The, the cocoa comes in on a pallet full and it sits there for a long time. So you're there one week and, and when you come back three, four weeks later, it's still there. It's still the same right. pallet. It was reduced, but it's the same palette still. Thank you very much. Is this, is this Ramosha? Yes. Thank you very much for calling in. 
Thank you so much. Kotov. Somebody uh, e- emailed us, uh, you know, texted us that he's allergic to milk and he wants to know he saw a lactose-free yogurt but has an OUD on it. Is it Cholov Stam or is it lactose-free? Because it's lactose-free. So, I, I, you know, that's an interesting question. The only one who can answer is the OU and each one of them could be different. The OU can put OUD and it may not really be we call halachically dairy that is of and you shouldn't use. Other than it might, it might well be uh, really dairy. The fact lactose free is only a part of the milk. You have other parts of milk, so that's a question that has to be put to the OU directly. You know whether this product is really dairy or not, and if it's dairy, um, you know does it affect the chalav Israel person? And I really couldn't answer that, especially from this distance. He didn't even mention the name of the yogurt. Okay, I see no one else is calling in now. So let me just end off with a few interesting points. And that is that, uh, again, well, we mentioned a little bit about the, uh, about the kosher fest today. And we talked a little bit about the uh, mashkir with you. I hope to have him next week. And uh, mentioned a word or two about, uh, well, we mentioned pretty much everything here tonight. Meat and milk. Oh, actually, meat we didn't really deal with. Uh, but I'll just tell you a quick story that happened many years ago um, regarding this uh, exact topic that we're talking about now. I became aware that there was a, uh, a person who was in the meat business. He is no longer directly involved in meats, but I think his children are involved in it. And he had a store in the Flatbush area, and uh, he was selling meats, and he was dealing with other meats on the side. means to say that he, he could buy stuff that wouldn't come, would not come into his store and he could sell it to you. It was bought and sold, but not through the store. And he would um, have different levels of different kashras, which didn't affect what was going on in the store, but he was functioning on two levels. A friend of mine had a store out in Farakaway, a meat business, very ehrlich, young man, uh, now he's, he's a little older, you know, but a very ehrlich person, and he had a uh, business there, and he said, people, you would offer him, you know, we have a special, I got, a, I got available some meat, are you interested? It's, they'd say it's kosher or whatever, it doesn't make a difference, but they wouldn't be able to identify it thoroughly, and it was very cheap, and even though the people were nice people who were trying to sell it to him, he always refused he says, I have to know, you know where it came from. I have to be convinced. I can't use this kind of a, a in-between person. It's a, like a broker. I can't do that. We don't know where the thing's coming from. But unfortunately, there are temptations. But that is in the meat business in a local store. But when we're talking about a major place, they can't get away with that. And the bigger the place is, the less likely that they're going to be they're going to be willing to accept something like this, because even if they would get offered a good deal on a smaller quantity, it wouldn't work for them because they may have to adjust their procedures. It may not fit their quality. They couldn't waste the time with it. It'd be more de- more more destructive to take such an offer and and mess up what they're doing than to skip it and not save that few dollars. So that's what we were talking about, so what Moshe was saying before. And so I think now you have a little bit of understanding of why that once a month is a practical thing. 
Now, when it comes to Pesach, the OU requires a Mashkir Tamidi for anything that says Pesach. And uh, the Mashkir Tamidi there is also a little bit, a little more liberal. Some of the things are only a one day, once a day visit, and it's just for a minute. But usually, what the products that they have for Pesach are with a Mashkir Tamidi. Because Pesach uh, opens itself up to the, sm- the smallest of error and they, the extra that the OU took on. And it's interesting that they will require Mashkiach Tamidi where they would have required a very periodic Mashkiach on, on the regular course of the year. So, this is the, some of the decisions that people are making. And if you're interested in getting the Davakashras, contact Rabbi Grossman, just Grossman at OU.org. And if you're interested in getting Kashras Magazine, contact me, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, uh, at 718-336-8544. And you could also email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. You can send us your comments, questions, things you want me to discuss. You can say you're interested in getting a subscription or you want to get our new kosher guide to the 1,371 kosher agencies worldwide, a 216-page book. It's included in the subscription, or you can buy it separately. And whatever you're interested in, Kashrus, just 718-336-8544 or Kashrus at AOL.com. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Just you've mentioned Pesach, so we have to... Oh, I I should... Oh, that's my fault. That's my fault. Yesterday, uh, both Nisim and I were at an amazing chasana with Pesach Chani and his wonderful Kala, who I knew both sides, and Baruch Hashem, I could say that in some way I was involved with both sides throughout the entire uh, dating process, and I'm, I'm very excited, and I also had the connection with some of the people in, in, the, in the, the family, and uh, the, the Kala's family, and I was very excited to meet them again. It was a wonderful experience. So we all, Jerry's Radio, Radio family, was we involved. All wish, we uh, all uh, wish um, the best, uh, them the best, and Bezat Hashem, Bait Kasher and Eman, and Zerah Shel Barakaimah, the Pesach Chani, and Ishto Avigail, and all the best. And really, was oh, you unbelievable, unbelievable wedding, unbelievable wedding, a wonderful experience, and uh, this uh, really. I thought uh, people come up to me today, said they, yes. they were there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Thank you very much.